this morning, we turn in our scriptures to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 8 through 20. And what might just be the most widely known section of scripture in all the world. Largely because of what we just experienced. That so many of the Christmas songs and Christmas language and Christmas celebration comes from this passage. And like so many who do not have eyes to see or ears to hear, sing of this gospel gift, speak of it, talk about it all around this time of year, and it completely misses them. And I pray, I so pray, that our time here in this text this morning would not miss you. For you who have entered this place, Lord of your own life, not trusting Jesus, as Savior and Lord, that it might be God's time to save you, to give you saving faith, to trust Him. And for you, church, who are saved, who belong to Him, that you would be so enriched. Uh, this passage that, I mean, I feel like I've preached a hundred times in over 20 years of pastoral ministry, right? And you surely know it well. And I really asked the Lord as we dove into this Gospel of Luke that these parts would be so fresh. And, and I can testify, church, uh, those of you who've been around me in the last few days just are seeing me just, just float a little bit. Just giddy. Because it's my time in the Word this week has been so, so, so good. And uh, so rich. And I pray it is that for you as well, church. With much to cover, look with me as we kick off our 2023 Advent celebration of our lowborn king here with verse 8, Luke chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. The shepherds in that time and culture were often characterized as representing the downtrodden and the lowly. The fact that the official announcement of the Messiah's arrival, the Messiah's birth, was not sent to the governors and kings of the land, but to these lowly of a state. This is an amazing sign that this Savior... This Messiah was truly one for all kinds of people and not just the elite. This makes sense because he came to save sinners. And sinners come in all shapes and sizes. And it really struck me how truly private this announcement was. This game-changing, world-altering announcement in the cloak of midnight's darkness in the middle of the countryside without any of the pomp and fanfare of what we would expect with such great news 
The late, great J.C. Ryle said of this point, let us resist the suggestion of Satan that religion is not for the working man. The weak of this world are often called before the mighty. The last are often first, and the first last. Luke says, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Luke clarifies that these shepherds are just outside of Bethlehem, which means that they very well could have been a very unique group of shepherds tasked with a very special kind of raising of sheep that they're tending to. Consider with me what Scripture illuminates about this possibility as we consider the prophecy of old, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, who is coming forth from of old, from ancient days. Another name for Bethlehem was Epaphrath. Ephrath, we see in that term used, that title used in Genesis chapter 35, 19 through 21, the account of Rachel's death. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel, that's Jacob's new name given to him by the Lord, moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. The name Migdal Eder is, it means herd tower. It is historically understood that Migdal Eder is just outside of Bethlehem. In Genesis, we a herd tower in is used in that day by the shepherds to watch over the sheep all around. Now over time, Migdal Eder had become a place where the sheep were raised that were used for sacrifice in preparation for the annual Passover celebration. So every year, tens of thousands of Jews would migrate to Jerusalem to remember the deliverance of Israel by gods from their captivity in Egypt. To do this, they would need a sheep that was one-year-old and without defect to offer as a sacrifice. Migdal Eder, being just outside of Bethlehem, was a likely place that they tended to these sheep. So when we read here in Luke, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night, it is very possible, and just about every theologian I've studied loves this connection, and yet because it's not didactically given us in Scripture, we can't say it's absolutely the case that these shepherds were the ones in charge of raising and caring for the sacrificial sheep. These shepherds now are going to be charged ordained by God to be the ones to go identify the Messiah. In other words, assigned to identify the true and final sacrificial lamb that is without blemish. Who is he? He is God in flesh, Jesus Christ. Emmanuel. And 30 years later, John the Baptist will announce the Messiah's arrival this way, as he sees Jesus walking towards him, he will say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. 
Who is this baby in the manger we celebrate every Christmas? He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Praise God for this first Christmas gift that is truly beyond all measure and comparison. Amen? Look with me at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The shepherds are out there tending to their sheep at night, and that means it's really dark, right? You know, I know you city folk, you don't get to experience this very often, but when you get outside the afterglow of the city, right, and there was no big city nearby, Bethlehem's not that, there's no street lamps in the hillside, and so what you see out there is pretty awesome at nighttime. When you get far enough into the country, far enough from the, the glow of the lights, it's marvelous. So there they are, just like every other night, keeping watch over their sheep. And this deep darkness is all of a sudden replaced by the brightest light. The glory of the Lord shines all around them. And there's no escaping it. They're consumed by it. Now, what is the glory of the Lord? The glory of the Lord is the manifest radiance of God in creation. It, almost every time the Bible records a theophany, which is an outward manifestation of God, it is accompanied by the Shekinah glory of God. This is the blazing, blinding glory of God, which is so brilliant that most often when recorded, people have to turn their eyes from it. They're so overwhelmed by it. God's glory is the brilliant outworking of God's invisible attributes. For example, in Isaiah 6.3, we read the holy angels singing out these words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah 6.3 Because we can't see God's holiness, we see the manifestation of it in the radiance of it, the afterglow of it in his glory. Another example of this is when Stephen is being stoned to death in Acts 7. And it says this, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Acts 7.55 because God is spirit and therefore cannot be seen, Stephen sees the glory, the radiance of God's presence and power. And he sees Jesus because Jesus, since the incarnation and forevermore, has a body like yours and mine. Note that Stephen says Jesus is standing there in the midst of the glory of God. 
What an amazing sight that must have been. Church, it is the same for the shepherds that night, that holy and marvelous night filled with the glory of God shown all around. And it says they were filled with great fear. Just like all the others who have encountered God's revealed angel, they're filled with fear. But notice it doesn't just say fear. It says great fear. The King James translation says sore fear. Meaning it was so great, their fear was so great, they were sore from it. Luke continues in verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. Fear not. This is the same phrase spoken by the angel to Zechariah Church, if you remember in Luke 1.13. The same word spoken to Mary in, in Luke 1 verse 30. Consider with me for a moment that the call to be free of fear would continue just about every time Jesus would encounter a new group of people. He would often say, peace be with you, or fear not. Do not be afraid. Righteous reverence and fear for the presence and the power of God and his holy servants, church, is a good thing. And so, it, and so is the, the sweet touch of mercy and calm of the angel and later of the Lord himself to wield or to bring peace to those who are overwhelmed at their presence. Beloved, this is a good place to slow for us today to do business with the degree of respect and reverence and awe that we have for Christ. Are we so moved at his holy presence and power in our daily lives as these were? Might our faithful engagement of his holy word and his miraculous work that is miraculous to us and daily for him his miraculous work all around us caused us to truly and righteously and worshipfully tremble at his holy name. The angel says, I bring you good news. Whew, that's a relief. It's good news. Right? The, the, the glory, the angel, what is this? Right? It's just like sometimes your initial reaction when someone in great authority calls your attention and your first thought is, oh, am I in trouble? He says, I bring good news. The word gospel, that's what that means, good news. The Greek word evangelion, and evangel was news of a great historic event. In the ancient world, the term is used to describe glad tidings related to a major historic event like the birth of a ruler or the announcement of a battle won. It wasn't just news you heard and then forgot. No, it, it changed its listeners' day. It, it, it moved them. 
It wasn't just news you could hear and then keep going. It, it brought change. It meant something. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Let's come back to great joy in just a moment. The angel says this gospel news, this great news is for all the people. Well, who's all the people? Theologians of old and new agree that this is a reference to all the people of Israel. It is for all the people who have been long expecting the Messiah in particular. These are the ones who are going to know how to celebrate the arrival of the Messiah. To them, this will be good news and not just news, like it will be for those outside God's covenant people at that time. Now in the end, church, we know the good news, the gospel of our Lord, His life, His death, His resurrection, is good news of great joy for all of God's elect, Jew and Gentile. For it is His chosen people who will be the ones to truly experience the intended width and breadth the gospel has on those God ordains to save. It is here that we must stop and really do business with why Jesus' birth is the arrival of great and lasting joy for all whom he saves. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Joy. There's that word. Three, three letters. Those three letters are very central for our annual Christmas celebration, are they not? We see that word, joy, in Christmas lights. We see it in banners. We, we see it in frames. We see it all over. And there are a lot of ways that we taste joy in our everyday lives. But there's something extra about Christmas joy. And it has nothing to do with gingerbread or lights or fires in a fireplace or holiday songs or time with family. Nothing. When God the Son, eternal and magnificent, takes on flesh and is born unto us, it meant the arrival of great joy like never before. The joy Christ brings us is not natural. It's supernatural. It is a joy that stems from something deeper. Something not dependent on our circumstances. But it is a joy that stems from knowing and being truly transformed by Jesus, who is our Savior and our Lord. It's a reality. It's an identity. Shift that you can't measure with a cup or with a bank account or by looking in the mirror or with a trophy. It is more central to who we are 
and what we know when Christ comes into our lives. It is truly great joy. When Jesus comes into our life, he changes everything. Having to do with this life and the next. This is what is about to happen to these shepherds. But we're going to see in a moment that Luke tells us these shepherds run the streets of Bethlehem sharing what they've seen and heard. Their lives are changed. How do we know? Because I don't know a lot of blue-collar men who are called off their job site, randomly invited to a hospital to see a random baby born to a family they don't know, and then inspired with such elation to go running out of the hospital to the neighborhoods surrounding and tell everyone. That just don't happen. They were changed. Do you see, truly great joy has arrived in the birth of Jesus. And what I pray is God's will is that it has arrived for you too. This Christmas, you can choose to try to have joy in the things of this world. Things that are growing old, things that are breaking down. Or you can turn to Jesus, who is God, who is the source of true and lasting joy, and no great joy. Lasting joy. Why is the birth of Jesus the arrival of great joy? Because Jesus' birth means the arrival of God in flesh. And God is the all-satisfying object. There is nothing more satisfying than him. Nothing in creation is greater than him. Nothing. Not even close. In the Psalms, we read that God is the source of complete and unending joy. Psalm 43, 4, God, my exceeding joy. Oh, how I pray you come to know and truly live in the great joy that only Christ can be to you. The angel continues his glorious announcement to the shepherds and says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. The angel says he's born this day. In other words, this is happening right now. This really big news is really big because the arrival of the promised Messiah that has always been something that is going to happen later. All of the prophecies of old are all of a sudden no longer pointing to something to come. No. It is happening today. They are being fulfilled today. He is here. And it's happening right here. Not across the world. Not across the seas. 
these shepherds are said it's happening here in the city of David. Remember, church, that's a reference to Bethlehem from our prior sermon earlier in our series. Jerusalem was the big city where David reigned as king, but Bethlehem is the small town where he's from, where he's born. This is why Bethlehem's considered the city of David. It's happening now, it's happening here. And then the angel gives three descriptive titles to this baby that has been born to them that says a lot about who this baby is. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. First, he's a Savior. Mary uses this word to describe God in Luke 1.47. She says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Zechariah, if you remember, gave prophecy about this in Luke 1.69, saying he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And now the angel says, The child who is born this day is the Savior. Describing the baby as a savior is appropriate, considering that that is the very purpose for which this child is born. Born to save his people from their sins. Too often, Jesus is portrayed as one who can improve one's life, who can help your marriage, empower you to work harder and to live better, more righteously. And while these things can be a true byproduct of the sanctifying work of Christ in your life, it is not the most important thing that Jesus is to the one who believes upon him for salvation. No, the most important thing that Jesus does for us is saves us from our sin and therefore reconciles us to God. This is the most fundamental mission of the baby in the manger to save many from eternity in hell because of their sin so that we can enjoy eternity with God in glory. The baby born this day in Bethlehem is a Savior. Praise God. Next, the angel says he is Christ. This is not his last name, Jesus Christ. It is his title. Just like many of you call me pastor, Many around the nation or the world through the club call me shepherd, which means pastor. That's not my name, but it's a title. And for those of you who understand God's gift of a pastor, a shepherd, that title has meaning, it has affection to you, who are the sheep of the flock that I shepherd, called by God to lead. For those who knew of the promised Christ, this title holds a lot of meaning and affection for them too. Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, the Anointed One, the Royal Redeemer, the Promised Deliverer. He is the one we've been waiting for the promised one of God, the long-expected Messiah, the Christ. 
Finally, the angel says that he is the Lord. The Lord is the one who leads, the one who is designated to have authority over all things, over others. The Greek word kyrios means master. Lord is this baby's title, and it is a really exalted title, especially for a child born in such menial circumstances. So how exalted and supreme is the one called Lord who was born that Christmas morning? Paul says this way in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Yes, Jesus is Lord. Every man, woman, and child must do business with the Savior, Christ the Lord. Those who reject his lordship will one day bow their knee to him on their way to suffering his wrath for eternity. Those who surrender their lives to him in faith will worship and enjoy his reign forever. In verse 12, the angel continues to inform the shepherds how they will identify the newborn child who is the Savior, Christ the Lord. Luke 2.12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Church, as I mentioned before, it was customary in that day to use strips of fabric to bind a newborn baby snugly for warmth, security, to help straighten their limbs after being crooked and coiled in the womb for so long. Although this is the most supreme baby to ever be born, he was not adorned in the robes of majesty, but wrapped as any other baby. This would not be any kind of helpful marker for identifying this most special infant as every baby was wrapped in this fashion. But the next detail would be a great help. He would be lying in a manger. A manger is not a place a brand new mom would ever be expected to lay their precious newborn child because a manger is an animal feeding trough. What a contrast. The one who comes to save 
as the promised Messiah, ruler of all things, is born with the most humble circumstances. This only emphasizes all the more the magnitude of his humble love and great sacrifice for us. To empty himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's Philippians 2.7. Look at verse 13 with me as this amazing encounter keeps getting better. <laughs> if it wasn't amazing already. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Before we consider what they were singing, who is this multitude of heavenly hosts? The angel is all of a sudden joined with an army of fellow angels. But God's army doesn't come to bring desolation and conquest, but to bring announcement of good tidings, good news, and to sing as a grand choir in the very first Christmas concert ever held. Heavenly host church are angels. Angels are created spiritual beings. While we are not given a specific number of how many angels were in this special choir of praise, we know there was multitude, a multitude, a multiple, many Scripture does tell us that there's tens of tens of thousands of angels in God's heavenly ranks. We're given those details throughout Scripture. Church, it is important that you picture this army of angels correctly. Oh, I pray that you see the choir correctly, according to Scripture. Because modern society has wrecked your view of these created beings. How have they done this? With the common portrayal of angels in Christmas nativities and Christmas concerts and Christmas plays and ornaments as sweet, gentle, soft, the sweetest, right? Who are going to be the angels? The sweetest, the most gentle, the most soft little boys and girls in the group get to be the angels. No, wrong, totally wrong. The Holy Scriptures are clear to tell us that an angel is so far from sweet and soft. Scripture ascribed great power to the angels. All angels are spoken of in the masculine. There is no female angels. They're never referenced in the feminine. While many might call the little lady or the lady loved of your life a sweet angel, this is a gross misrepresentation of an angel. Look, look, look at that fly on the windowsill. Look at that sweet dog. No, that's not a dog. It's a gross misrepresentation. See with me a mighty army of empowered servants, warriors for the almighty God. Angels are not timid and tiny beings. They're an army of mighty masculine beings. Church pop culture should not dictate how we think about these things. God's holy word should. Amen? I want you to consider the power and the grandeur of this choir of masculine angels singing to God. And, and this is part of 
a fresh look at Christmas. By God's grace, I have spent my entire lifetime in the church. And more than half of my life in pastoral ministry. This has meant the amazing privilege of being in many massive gatherings of saved saints who sing in awesome unity to the one true God. This is like few experiences in all the world. But I will tell you that there is something uniquely powerful and special about a choir of all male voices. Whether it was singing with 90,000 men in the LA Memorial Coliseum, or with thousands of fellow pastors at the annual Shepherds Conference, it is like nothing else to hear a choir of strong, committed male voices singing out their passionate worship to the living God. It's marvelous. Absolutely overwhelming and magnificent moment this must have been for these lowly shepherds to see and hear that first Christmas choir. Before we move on, notice one more striking observation with me about the angels who are singing. The first to sing for the incarnation of the eternal God who took on flesh to come and redeem his people was the holy heavenly servants of God who did not need a redeemer. These angels were not fallen. They were not sinful. They were not in sinful disobedience like Satan and the fallen angels later referred to as demons. No, these are the faithful elect angels who are in good standing with God. And this shows us what good and faithful servants these angels are. For they had no need of redemption. And yet, they are enthralled by the outworking of God's grace for those he sent God the Son to save. The Apostle Peter will testify later in his first letter that the outworking of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ was a topic of great interest to the angels, and I quote, things into which angels longed to look. 1 Peter 1.12 Church, it is no longer just Zechariah or Mary that is singing at the arrival of the Redeemer of God, but the angels have come to worship like a choir that has never assembled among mankind. And what did they sing? Gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Luke 2.14 Consider with me the fact that the glory of God 
was never more shown than in the holy presence of God in flesh. With the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the attributes of God are put on display to a degree we had not seen before. Think about how we consider and see the outworking of his love, his grace, his wrath, his justice, his power in the presence and work of God the Son in flesh. God is truly glorified in the highest in the arrival of Jesus Christ. What a fitting exaltation to sing in a time like this. Amen? Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The child who is born is the arrival of peace among those whom God is well pleased. Isaiah 9.6, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And he will be called Prince of Peace. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. John 14, 27. Notice it says, Jesus came to bring peace to those whom he is pleased. With those whom he is pleased, the Bible says that in our sin, we are enemies of God. If this is true, how is anyone able to please God? And the answer is that we who are full of sin cannot please God. We are desperate for another to please God on our behalf. Are you trying to please God? You are desperate for another to please Him on your behalf. This is what Jesus came to do for many. Isaiah 53, 5, He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds, we are healed. The good news is that the baby who lay in the manger is peace. The one who was beaten and hung on the cross to take our deserved wrath and death upon him is the Prince of Peace. The hero who conquered death and rose to everlasting life is peace. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. Only in Him and through Him is God pleased with anyone. Only in Him do we have true peace. For you to be the one that God is well pleased, you must be alive in Christ. 
You must have repented of your sin and self and trusted your life to Jesus. It's the only way you will ever know true peace. The fact is, God the Son took on flesh, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, just as the prophecies had told, lived without sin so that he could be sacrificed in the place of his people, so that he could pay for our sin, so that those who trust in him as Lord would be given his righteousness. This is the only way we can be restored to God. This is the only way out of the darkness and into his glory. The only way out of eternal damnation is to trust Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And we don't just do that once and then move on to doing it on our own. No, every day you must abide in him. For only in him Abiding in Him, does He produce the fruit of the Spirit? You turn from Him and try to grow fruit, you will not. You will be terrible at it. You will be frustrated. The question this morning is, will you confess your sin before Him and submit your life to Him and be saved? There's nothing more important in all your life than trusting your life to Jesus, than belonging to him, than turning from your life of sin and your self-reign to his power and his reign unto his glory. And I pray you do. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is where the popular phrase, goodwill towards men, comes from. Maybe you've heard that said, even in this very text. Some translations of this passage render it this way. The famous reading of Linus in 1965 was this way. Do you remember it? Charlie Brown's Christmas. Watched it with our children last night. And the adults and the older kids enjoyed it the most. For the language of the acting in 1965 is above the heads of many little ones. Goodwill towards men. Church, never before has the goodwill or the good favor of God been more shown than in the sacrificial love of God to send his son and for the son to willingly give up himself for the ransom of guilty sinners like you and me. Goodwill towards men, indeed. God's power is shown worldwide in his creation Romans 1 speaks of this. We see the evidence of his invisible attributes through his creation. His justice and wrath is shown worldwide in the flood of the earth. 
his goodwill is shown to those he came to save completely and finally through the life of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God. Verse 15 and 16, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. What a sight it must have been. There he is. I love that they didn't sit around. I love that they didn't sit there and say, what did we just experience? Should we slow down and take some inventory? Should we go the other way? I love that they didn't stay focused on the daily things that they were focused on to that point. I love that they didn't make excuses or stay busy with other things. No, they got up and they went. They just went to go, to serve, to testify, to not waste one day doing nothing to advance this life-altering truth to those who are truly and eternally desperate to hear it. They went. They made haste. And I say to us, church, may we too rise and make haste to heed our Lord's commission and stop wasting time in any of the ways that we are, making it all about this temporary kingdom, that we would make haste to heed our Lord's commission on us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In your parenting, in your eating, in your playing, in your working, in your driving, in your church time, in your serving, in your whatever, is this what we're here to do? It should be. In all of it. It says they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. What a sight. He's really here. This is really happening today. It says in verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The good news the angels brought to the shepherds that day was the greatest news those shepherds could have ever been told. Do you see that? You need to. Think about that with me for a moment. It was better news than the angel saying, lowly shepherd, here's a million dollars. Lowly shepherd, you're being given superhero powers. There is no other news they could have been told greater than this news, if we understand it rightly. 
It is better than any other good news in that Jesus' arrival means rescue from our greatest problem, separation from God because of our sin. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you believe, this is your greatest problem. You are separated from God because of sin. That separation not only affects you now in this life, but determines your reality for eternity. And so it carries with it an absolutely immeasurable amount of weight. Understand, no matter how healthy you are, how rich you are, how beautiful you are, how loved you are, how surrounded by family you are, how talented you are, how much fun your life is, apart from Jesus' saving grace, you are enslaved to sin and its lifelong and eternal penalty. I love the testimony Luke shares with us here about the shepherds going around and telling everyone because they were not evangelists. They tended to sheep in dirty fields. They were shepherds, but they couldn't contain themselves because the news was so great. Not only did they hear it, they saw it. They had to share it. Despite their lack of study, despite their lack of knowledge of the things of God, they shared the good news that they had come to know. And then Luke tells us, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They wondered. That word in the Greek, they marveled. They, they were captivated. They were boggled by it. But it doesn't say they believed. This is the sobering reality for many, if not most, who hear the Christmas testimony of the eternal God who put on flesh to humble himself to come and save his people from their sin. They, they hear the lyrics. You see it in the Christmas specials. Very dead in sin people singing these glorious truths of God, totally blind to the power that changes their lives. Many hear it. Many might even marvel at it. Many might say this is such a wonderful and magnificent event. But unless they're moved by God unto belief in Jesus for salvation, their Christmas experience is wasted emotion and unto a new month and new year. And here we go again. Church, we must testify because they will not believe in what they have not heard. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 10, 14-17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Church, we must preach. We must testify. We must risk the raise, risk the deal, risk the job, risk a pleasant neighborhood, risk a great family life to give them the truth that saves. Or we don't love them. What we love is what they give us. And we don't want to lose that.
we must testify. We must share what we know, like the shepherds did that night. To not hold back the good news, which is the general gospel call that God uses in his time and way to make effective on those whom he will give saving faith. Yes, many will outright reject the gospel call, and many will only wonder at the good news of Jesus. But we rest in full faith for all those that God has ordained and chosen from before time to save unto salvation, he will save. Amen? Now, unlike those who only marvel, Mary, Jesus' mother, turns to worship over all that she had heard and seen. Look with me at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She's pondering the amazing happenings she's bearing witness to. She has, she has bore witness to because she doesn't have it in perfect view of what all this means. She just knows that it's really special and really good. She's in the moment. She's captured with awe of the things that God has done. Her, her treasuring these things is saying gratitude is welling up in her. It's, it's a value to her. She's thankful for them. She's praising God for them. Now, if you notice something, the shepherd's joy, Mary's joy, it turns to praise. It turns to gratitude. This is what true joy does in us. It causes us to be grateful to God and to honor him. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I mean, think about it. She just went through one of the most painful moments of her young life in giving birth to a child, right? Very young life, teenage girl, just gave birth. Okay, I won't line the ladies up to testify how terrible it is. She just finished that in the dirt or something close to that. And yet she's full of joy. It doesn't say she's miserable. Get out of here, people. Don't you know what I just went through? She's treasuring it. She's meditating, pondering, welling up with worship. This is the real life testimony of what Jesus will later refer to in John 16, 20 through 24, the passage our very own James and Veronica Miller, who are also with child, read this morning in our first Advent reading. Let me read it to you again. Jesus' words, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have joy now. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Mary is truly full of joy in the afterglow of God's mighty hand at work in her life and in those around her. Church, see with me that her pain of childbirth, her miserable circumstances of her social nightmare, right? Teenage girl, not yet married, pregnant. Yeah, Mary, right. Holy Spirit, uh-huh, you're a liar, get out of here. All of that nonsense she must have gone through. 
physically exhausted, just made a hundred mile trip uphill to Bethlehem, very pregnant, and now having to give birth in an animal shelter, likely just absolutely emotionally spent nothing. And yet given the magnitude of all this that she has been vaulted into by God's sovereign hand, she's overcome with true joy treasuring up all these things and pondering them in her heart. Christian, despite the hand, hard and horrific circumstances that you might be facing in this life, we always keep the Lord at the helm of our soul as the anchor of our faith, as the strength of our life. If we do, we'll experience what the psalmist sings about in Psalm 16, 8 through 11. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And finally, Luke says in verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. What an amazing testimony. We read right here, these lowly shepherds are transformed, moved by the power of the gospel, full of true worship and praise to God. This is the proper response to all things. For all glory and praise is due to God. The glory of God is the ultimate purpose of everything that exists. Psalm 96, 1-3, O sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord and bless His name, tell of His salvation day to day, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. All the things of life, church, everyday things that we've come to enjoy, these things He created, He entrusted to us to be enjoyed, but ultimately unto a welling up with worship for Him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Ephesians 3, 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Church, may it be so in our lives as well. For we have been saved by God because of Christ. We have come to know great joy and lasting peace. We are therefore motivated to share the gospel with those in our path and well up with high praise for the great God who reigns on high. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this marvelous testimony, this, this amazing insight what a, what, a, what a gift to help us to treasure the happenings of your providence on this day, that first Christmas.
and within so much of what it means Jesus' arrival, his ministry, what he would do unto perfect completion. I pray that he truly is Savior, Christ and Lord. I pray, pray that we truly know him, trust him, and therefore know great joy and real peace and are moved to join the shepherds in the testimony, join the angels in the choir of praise, that you would be glorified and many lives would be changed. Hark the herald. Angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled joyful all ye nations rise join the triumph of the skies with the angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem we love you in Jesus mighty name we pray amen